25-year-old Alilia Minthorn, known to her friends and family as Lala, was with her sister Tanya, supporting her through an emotionally difficult time. Tanya felt that something was off with her sister, though she really wasn't sure what. The day was already difficult for Tanya, as they had held a ceremony for her recent miscarriage, and Lala later left that afternoon telling Tanya, if I don't make it back, come look for me. After that day, she never saw her sister alive again. I'm Catherine, and this is Murder in Mediumship. And I know you've heard me say it before, but I'm saying it again. Private readings are available on my website, catherineannintuitive.com. While you're there booking your reading, click on workshops and check out my 90-minute The Magic of Manifesting workshop. It's January 29th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The workshop will be recorded, so no worries if you can't make it live. You can have the recording forever, so long as you sign up for the class. During these 90 minutes, I'll help you tweak your language around manifestation, shift your focus to calling in your desires, and help you to understand how to maintain an overall energy that is more beneficial to creating the life of your desires, rather than feeling stuck in a cycle you'd rather not be in. The workshop is only $40, and I can't wait to see some of you there. Now let's talk about Alilia Minthorn. Later that day, Alilia was seen getting into a vehicle with Georgian Everett Stevens and two other women. They had stopped at an area of the Yakima Reservation in Washington State known as the Compound, and this is where Lala joined them in the large SUV that they were driving. The Compound was a well-known homeless encampment, and I'm not entirely sure which family member reported her missing, but she was reported missing by her family on May 9th. According to Justice.gov, the FBI opened an investigation immediately after the report was filed by Alilia's family. The two women in the vehicle with Stevens were Jasmine McCormick and Samantha Tainwasher. During the next few weeks, Lala's family looked for her to no avail, and I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be her sister and have those last words of, if I don't come back, look for me, looming over my head. Unfortunately, they didn't have to wonder for long, as on May 29th, after two searches by the tribal police and the FBI, they were able to locate the body of Alilia Minthorn. During the second search, one of the aforementioned women, Jasmine McCormick, helped authorities to find her. As it turned out, she had gone to authorities to tell them what had happened. Now, hold on, because this all gets really, really crazy fast. Like, I almost feel like you might want to draw yourself a little diagram. Take notes. As it turned out, according to McCormick, who went to authorities while she sat in Clickitate jail following a police pursuit in a stolen vehicle, the lead investigator into Alilia's disappearance, FBI agent Clinton Barefoot, had come to McCormick and asked her for information allegedly because of her understanding of the Yakima Nation culture and the street culture. Barefoot was an outsider, white law enforcement who wasn't trusted by those living on the reservation. And McCormick told authorities her version of what had happened on May 3rd, just weeks earlier. Now, Jordan Everett Stevens and McCormick had already been arrested for attempted vehicular theft and assault on May 20th. So what did McCormick tell the authorities? 
she and another female witness, who we will meet shortly, along with Stevens, who was driving, had picked Lala up at the compound in the vehicle she had been seen getting into by other witnesses that day. Stevens was in the driver's seat and took all of them up to a remote area of the reservation, a part that was actually closed off to the residents. And he took her out of the vehicle, shot her once in the head with his rifle, and then got back into the car and drove south on the reservation to an area known as Brownstown. She told authorities that Stevens had killed Alilia because he believed that she had gone to the feds about him and McCormick stealing a vehicle and assaulting the driver. I'm not sure if this is the incident that McCormick had been sitting in jail for when Barefoot contacted her. Now, while the three of them are at the tavern, McCormick, Tainwasher, and Stevens, Stevens becomes convinced that his blood is absolutely on Alilia's clothing, and they have to go back to where they left her body, back to the scene of the crime. So the three of them, according to McCormick, then pile back into the Yukon and drive back to the remote part of the reservation where they left Alilia Minthorn, and they remove her clothing. On July 17th, 2019, Stevens was indicted for the first degree murder of Alilia and the discharge of a firearm during a crime of violence in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Washington. Because Stevens and Alilia were both registered members of the Yakima Nation, FBI had jurisdiction and thus she was charged in federal court. If you've listened to any previous episodes that I have done about anyone missing who falls into the indigenous women or men or girls or what have you category, then you know that the jurisdictional webs are no joke, okay? So, Every time I do one of these episodes, I try to explain a little bit more about how it works as I'm learning all of it as well. But in this case, the FBI has jurisdiction. And I believe that in most cases where there is a crime of, I think, a felony crime, FBI has jurisdiction. But please don't quote me on that. The case went to trial in June of 2021, and it only lasted for three days. Witnesses had to be arrested in order to force them to testify. I mean, Stevens had literally shot a woman point blank in the head because he believed she spoke to the feds about him. She couldn't even be sure what was said to the feds. I, I believe that law enforcement was just down there interviewing people who were nearby and he saw her communicating with them or someone saw her communicating with them and just assumed. I mean, it literally could have been, and I'm just, I'm speculating here 100%, just so you know, but it literally could have been that they asked like, hey, were you here? And that's it. Like, no one knows for sure that that's what she said to them, but I digress. People didn't want to cross him and I can't say that I blame them. One of the witnesses was the other woman who had been with McCormick and Stevens the day that Stevens shot Alilia. And this is Jasmine Tainwasher. Not only was she the owner of the Yukon that they were driving around that day, but she was Alilia's cousin. Some parts of her testimony didn't quite match McCormick's, while other parts were completely identical. According to Tainwasher, who was high on meth on May 3rd, the last day that Alilia was seen by her sister, Tanya, she picked Stevens up before meeting Lala at the compound. And I'm not sure when McCormick joins them or if she did with Stevens. There's a lot of different versions of this part of the story. But after they grab Alilia from the compound, they drove to Union Cemetery, where Tainwasher got out of the vehicle to visit the graves of her mom and brother. She alleged that when she returned to the Yukon, McCormick was beating Alilia. Tainwasher asked McCormick to stop beating her. But then Stevens joined in, striking Alilia in the face multiple times with the butt of his rifle. After 
He shot her. McCormick got in the driver's seat and drove to the Brownstown Tavern where they all played pool, had a few drinks, and hung out. McCormick and Tainwasher both claimed that Stevens threatened them that he would kill them too if they ever told anyone what had happened. And I mean, frankly, I would have believed him. While at the tavern, McCormick went outside to clean the Yukon before she and Stevens had both gotten into it and left. So they left Tainwasher there. This is Tainwasher's Yukon, and they left her there. After seeing them leave in her vehicle, Tainwasher actually called the police. Hours after witnessing the murder of her cousin, she called the police to report her vehicle stolen. Please explain that, because I don't get it. Luckily for Tainwasher, the two of them drove back to the tavern within 15 minutes of leaving. However, during the trial, the question was posed as to why she didn't report the murder she had just witnessed as she was on the phone with the authorities about her stolen vehicle. Her response was that Stevens had threatened her and she had children to worry about. I don't understand this thought process at all, but okay. The three of them then go back to Olivia's body and remove her clothing. According to Tainwasher, it was McCormick who had a cut on her finger and was concerned that her blood would be found on Alilia, not Stevens's blood. During the course of the trial, McCormick claimed that Tainwasher was the one to be fighting with Lala. She was reluctant to answer various questions and she, quote, couldn't remember many other situations pertaining to the murder or the events immediately thereafter. Now, Stevens' defense attorney, Oliver Klein, suggested that McCormick was actually in too much contact with Agent Barefoot, that the two of them had over 100 phone calls between the two of them, and that their relationship was not strictly of professional nature. As stated earlier, Barefoot justifies these calls as him trying to establish an understanding of the culture. He also reassures the defense that all of their calls were documented and accounted for. This didn't satisfy Klein, though. During the trial, he read a conversation between McCormick and Agent Barefoot from a phone transcript. McCormick had told Agent Barefoot that she was willing to help, but that she wouldn't say anything until she got out of, of jail. It was the next day that she took authorities to Alilia's body. Okay, so that was the second search. This brings us to the final witness that refused to testify. U.S. Marshals had to apprehend Tim Castaleja, the owner of Brownstown Tavern, after he had agreed to testify and then failed to show up for court. On June 9th, Castaleja testified that he had seen the three of them, McCormick, Stevens, and Tainwasher, at his tavern on May 3rd, both inside and outside of the building. He testified that he saw the rifle that Stevens had used to kill Alilia, and that he saw them cleaning out the Yukon. Tainwasher and Stevens were inside kissing, evidently, while McCormick was outside cleaning out the vehicle. And when I first started to read about this, I was really wondering, I was like, well, what did they have to clean out? If they picked her up at the compound, they drove her there, and they killed her outside of the vehicle, until I stumbled upon, like, Article 5000, where I finally read that she was in fact beat while she was still in the car. So, of course, they were concerned about the interior of the car, too. And honestly, the really sad part about this, too, is that it took me subscribing to local newspapers to be able to find information on this case because there was just obviously no national coverage, which is, again, not shocking, as we have come to find out with these MMIW cases. Castaleja noticed that McCormick looked upset while she was outside cleaning, and so he approached her to see what was going on. She told him, I've done it. I've really done it. 
He didn't elaborate on what she meant by that. I think that she knew that she had done something that she couldn't get her way out of. At trial, Castileja said that McCormick rented a room from his tavern for over a year. So they had like they knew each other before, but had told Agent Barefoot that McCormick, Tainwasher and Stevens actually spent the night at the tavern on the 3rd of May. Castileja said that one of the women looked terrified while the other appeared to be drunk. Now, McCormick had been drinking that day. And again, Tainwasher had later admitted to smoking meth. So I'm assuming that McCormick was the drunk one, but I could kind of see that she was a little more scared than anything else. And everyone was inside having beers anyway, so who knows? On June 10th, 2021, the jury found Stevens guilty of first-degree murder and of discharging a firearm during a crime of violence. In the state of Washington, first-degree murder carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison. However, this story is far from over. Like I told you, If you're on our Discord server, you already got my message as I was researching this that this case just has rabbit hole after rabbit hole. So two days after Stevens was convicted, the Brownstown Tavern burned to the ground. Yakima County firefighters arrived at the tavern around 440 in the morning of Saturday, June 12th to find the tavern, quote, fully engulfed in flames. The Yakima County Fire Chief, Kevin Frazier, called the fire unsurvivable. Two days later, the firefighters were still on scene spraying the charred remains of the tavern in an effort to cool everything off for investigators to begin sifting through the rubble, looking for evidence. The tavern owner, Tim Castillejo, lived at the tavern, and no one was sure whether or not he was inside, but he remains missing to this day. Finally, on June 17th, FBI investigators were able to go through what was left of the tavern, which was essentially the basement as all four walls had collapsed into it. At first, they found no signs of human remains and even brought cadaver dogs in who hit on nothing. But on June 19th, they found what they determined to be possible human remains and alerted the next of kin and sent the material in question off to an FBI lab to be tested. Now, as we enter into 2023, I still can't find any results of those tests, only that Tim Castileja is still missing. The cause of the fire was listed as undetermined. I mean, my feeling is that it was absolutely Tim that was inside, but we may not hear back on that ever. Also, most of my information, like I said, came from local newspapers, most specifically the Yakima Herald Republic. Other sources carried much more vague information and had little to no follow-up on this story that is still unfolding. As for Stephen's sentencing, it was delayed because one of his three defense attorneys, now if you don't think that this has already gone far enough, I'm not even kidding you, it's still going. One of his three defense attorneys, Robin Emmons, filed a motion in November of 2021 for a new trial citing a mix-up with her anxiety and depression medications that inhibited her ability to perform to the best of her ability at trial. He had three defense attorneys. I can see how if he had only one, maybe this would be relevant. Not only that, but come on, multiple witnesses saw him murder Alilia. And there's really no disputing it. How much difference could a new trial even make? The motion for a new trial said that Emmons was having panic attacks during the trial during her cross-examination of lead investigator Agent Barefoot. 
During her cross-examination of him, he said that Stevens killed Olivia Minthorn and witnesses. Emmons alleges that because of her medication mix-up, she didn't hear Barefoot say this, though Klein, his other attorney, did and even objected to it. She said that she was so confused during this cross-examination that she completely lost the thread of what was going on, staring at notes that made absolutely no sense to her whatsoever as court was called for an early recess. According to the motion she filed, Barefoot's comments were grounds for a retrial. The defense even went so far as to have his comments struck from the record, and the jury was instructed to do the same. So it was handled. The situation had been handled. It was stricken from the record. Her nurse practitioner wrote a note indicating that this medical mix-up could absolutely have caused Emmons to feel ill and confused. And look, I get it. I take an anti-anxiety medication. If I miss more than two days of taking it, I am dizzy. I'm uncomfortable. I'm forgetful. I'm agitated for sure. But to blame something this catastrophic on something that maybe perhaps should have been caught sooner. And I'm, I wish I knew more details on whether or not this was a mix up on like the pharmacy's end or her doctor's end, or if it was her taking like the wrong pill, but no matter that fact, that's kind of on her. I don't feel like an entire trial should be held again because her medication was mixed up. That just doesn't seem valid to me. So anyway, my opinion, worth its own two cents, I suppose. I also feel like her doctor, her nurse practitioner writing a note, it just feels so it just feels so off to me. Anyway, I, I don't think that you could file a motion for a retrial because you feel off as an attorney, but what do I know? Maybe that's a box you can check. I have to agree with the prosecution here. Prosecutor Ben Steele responded that a mix-up with medication alone is not grounds for a retrial and that he had witnessed Emmons, quote, skillfully and effectively question Barefoot about unrecorded phone calls, his connection to one of the witnesses, and challenge his record-keeping and report-making. Not only that, but Stevens had a pretty lengthy and violent criminal history. In 2009, and I I recognize, before you come for me, I recognize that his criminal history has nothing to do with whether or not he is guilty of this specific crime, but they found him guilty, they convicted him, and I feel like to grant him a retrial would just be completely disrespectful to Ililia and the other people who he has hurt. So in 2009, he was convicted of two counts of child molestation. In 2010, he was convicted of assault and sentenced to 41 months in prison for pulling the mother of his two children out of a vehicle, beating her, and breaking several bones in her back and face. Ultimately, because I don't think that does it justice, like, okay, she's got broken bones. No, 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 no. She had a spinal fracture, a fractured eye socket, and a head injury. When tribal police responded, she was unable to move and in such incredible pain. In his plea agreement for this domestic assault, Stevens even admitted not just to having, not just to have assaulting the mother of his children, but he admitted to trying to get her to leave town until the charges could be dismissed, which automatically added 17 months to his sentence for the assault. More recently, on April 30th, 2019, this is days before he murdered Olivia, he assaulted a woman at the compound, 
Guess who witnessed, possibly witnessed that assault? If you're thinking Alilia, then you would be correct. She was seen having that conversation with responding officers, which is what led Stevens to believe that she had, quote, snitched on him. So on June 22nd, the judge ruled that no new trial would be granted as the medicine mix-up was absolutely insufficient. And not only that, but Emmons had missed the 14-day window for requesting a retrial following the conviction. Because evidently she didn't realize that that was what was going on with her medication until much later than that. I can't find whether or not his sentencing hearing eventually ever took place yet or not. It was last scheduled for December 14th, 2022. And I imagine he will ultimately be in prison for life, though. As far as Tim Castadeja, will he ever be found? I would bet a lot of money that he won't be, at least not alive. It's mind-boggling to me that these witnesses who were terrified to testify weren't protected in some way after the fact. It isn't surprising. It really isn't, unfortunately, but it does still absolutely blow my mind. The story is full of so many twists and turns and rabbit holes, and I hope that Tim's family can eventually have some closure here. While that situation in and of itself is tragic, his father, the original owner of the tavern, had passed away the January before Tim disappeared. It literally just doesn't get any easier. I feel like this case is like a made-for-TV movie. It's absolutely wild the amount of twists and turns and the damage that this man, that one man, caused in all of his violent and horrific actions and that lives were just so invaluable to him. So if you, I don't want to say enjoyed, but if you enjoyed today's episode, if you feel called to share, please do so that more people can hear what happened to Alilia Minthorn. It is so important that we are sharing these stories. Come back on Thursday for another episode of Murder and Mediumship. Y'all take care of yourselves.